Speaking uh, personally and to looking at it up and down different ways over the years, I feel it's it's really all right to be here. <laughs> <laughs> It's not just a kind of sick joke or a, you know, sell on death row. It's it's really all right to be here. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's all kinds of um, things coming up and going. Something quite nice and pleasant and a bit sad. That... um, and the actual quality of, of just being, being here, kind of with this stuff, the being with it, the presence, the ability to be present with it, is all is uh, is really all right. Mm. And I think so. The uh, time of steadying attention and and the support of the teachings and support of the Buddha, Dhamma, and the Sangha, then begin to kind of see the see through, so you can see the light between the bars, the light coming into the cell is much bigger than the bars, and uh, it's not really blocked by anything, apart from one's kind of terrible habit of grabbing hold of bars and hanging on them and beating one's head against them and such like, (laughs) something to be eventually given up I would suggest. Mm. And uh, I think this kind of quality of presence is there is, is, a be- is the beauty of our life, the human life. We have this uh, presence, pure presence, pure consciousness, and that, that actually that's a kind of core foundation, a core quality, a core essence, if you like to call it something like that, of mind. Is this ability? That the present, this presence. And then all sorts of things come onto that, but you know, the basic setup is like that. And uh, just did, you know, with the, the tapping into that. You know. So I think there are ways in which one does tap into that, just touch it, you know, maybe touch it and then begin to really apply oneself to it and extend it and then really investigate and, 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 and uh, sort of throw oneself into that presence and 
take it on as a as about really taking refuge is about making that commitment is a real risk of you know throwing oneself into that present presentness and finding after some rocky moments that it does actually it's buoyant and uh, certainly it puts you out there in the firing range but lo and behold you know we are like one of those kind of um those dolls, you know, that you knock down and bounce. They do, we keep bouncing up again. Um, so, maybe the firing range is really only noise and puffs of smoke. And uh, the kind of quality of understanding that begins to come through that, and then the release, and really in all of those, in acknowledgement and uh, in application and in... Um, the skills of mindfulness and in um, insight wisdom and in, in the bliss of release. These really it's the same underlying thing, you know, that, that's maybe experienced more fully, more completely. Same quality of presence is is still it's the same, it's just that one system has actually begun to respond to it and open up to it and, and acknowledge it and, and feel it and then um, you know and, and really take on the consequences of what that's about. So you, you, you maybe that presence is experienced in different ways. Just as a hungry person will taste a banana different from someone who's been eating bananas all day long. You know, it's the same banana, but you know it depends on where you kind of where, where how it affects you and how it's dependent really upon where one's that one how one can respond to that, how one how deep it goes, how much it means to you. And how much one's thinking and in one's psychological system actually abides in it, in that presence, and uh, realizes it, enjoys it, trusts it, and sees it with right view, uh, and all this kind of um, getting squint eyed, always looking at the end of your nose and wondering why it's, you know. You seem funny, yeah, out of balance here. Because you look at the end of your nose, that's why. <laughs> yeah, it's true, you've got a nose, but I mean, there's a few, you know, there's the other ways of looking than that. Mm. So I think these are kind of points. Like acknowledgement, you know, the acknowledgement quality, I suppose, is just that whenever we keep acknowledging, you know, a real, a real honest acknowledgement is when there's no if and could be and wish it wasn't and why what because of that it's just well it's this where that moment you, you know you know when that occurs there's a feeling of oh, no you know something firm and yet it's not a position it's not a it's a kind of the firmness of a non-statement of a non-proliferation yeah. and uh, well we can do that you know acknowledging I feel terrible a terrible feeling. Mm. Right. You know, it, that's what's happening now. Or you're happy. You're very happy. But of course, the, the, the imbalance is that you, know, you get this kind of proliferation onto happiness and unhappiness. So, I feel terrible because I can't do this and I'm not really understood. Or I feel happiness because I am this, and you know, if he's like that, then this is the truth, and so on. Get kind of drunken, lurching um, into positions and into stimulation. 
one kind or another. There's a sort of uh, equanimity and humility to let acknowledgement be just such. And this is something that, um, you know, that, that, that can stay with one, I think. We can't come back to. And it's amazing, of course, for all of us how a lot, you know, a lot of meditation can be continually kind of this underlying <coughs> working out a plan and a ploy and a scheme so that I won't have to actually acknowledge, you know, actually kind of keep some game plan going. Or something I can kind of be on a winning streak. <coughs> Rather than that, that humility to acknowledge there's anxiety or it's like this. So. And so this to me is where we begin to touch into to, to Buddhaness. Um, so if we're meditating from the position of this is Buddha meditating rather than me meditating, this is something that works for me in some ways. It's me meditating, and me's got certainly particular things that me wants to get out of this, and certain attitudes about me doesn't always like me very much. And it doesn't got particularly always got a very good view of me, and so me's always trying to prove that it's really all right and good enough. So it gets quite busy out there on that John Grum path. <laughs> so, when it's, when it's Buddha, then it's more like, well, you know, there's this, isn't there? There's dukkha, there's suffering, there's non-suffering, there's a path. And it's kind of, you know, we're not, we haven't got any particular angles or goals apart from just to wake up, you know, stop, sober up, stop lurching backwards and forwards. This acknowledgement. Well, I think this is a kind of lovely thing to do because it is lovely because it isn't a big trophy, and so that gives it the quality of of directness, humility. It's portable. It's light, not heavy, and it's it's because it works. It's sweet. So, Buddhas when they like that, very sweet. Little Buddhas. Mm. And from that, of course, we can. You know, we can like we can touch into in ourselves. It is a lovely thing. Um, ability to apply really, I most directly comes from that. Making the effort and application comes from that when it's purest, rather than I'm going to get become. It's just a, you know, what does this suggest? The ability to acknowledge. Now, can one actually, you know, can the mind actually stay on that rolling ball? The phenomena come rolling in, and you still, you know, it's just this, it's just this, it's this, it's this, it's this. Rather than like running off and creating something or hiding in a hole somewhere, stay on the on the rolling tide as it comes in on the wave. You know, that's this, you know, that's where you get the application, isn't it? Aspiration. It's um. So this is not going to happen through. Um, shutting down or, or seizing up. So, another way can habits tend to try to contract onto some state or philosophy or game plan. But when um, soon as you contract, you're all like being on a rolling board and trying to stand still. You don't. You fall off. You've got to actually keep nimble. 
on that rolling edge. You've got to, you know, in order to stay still, you've got to be nimble because mm. things are moving. So application is really required. This is where you know effort is is essential. It's not an effort. It's about becoming or having a whole set of effort. It requires effort to stay still. You know, it's like the effort of a, of a, someone standing on something that's moving. It's not a you know, it's a subtle kind of quality. And naturally, you know, to to enter that means that okay, I'm prepared to be alive. You know. Means I'm going to be specifically with this point. Not, you know, because it's like when you are on a balance point, when you are living on a balance, you can't think about it and you can't hold it and you can't, you can't start talking about it. You've got to be it. You've got to be alive. You've got to be specifically this point and be with this point as it occurs. Not the last point or the point that you want to be at. You'll be this one. So that requires, that's a really kind of lovely thing to do, to be that willing and that alive. It's what life is, really, vitality, isn't it? Everything else is just trophies and museum pieces and dead stuff. And skill, so this is our kind of aspiration in a way, to participate to enter, to be put on the line, where one's continually recognised one's own wrong-footedness and clunkiness and clumsiness and actually staggering around. So, you know, I, I think a very good word for that effort is the quality of that which allows us to fully participate and then mindfulness is the, is the governor of that, the one that helps to make that possible. And so the, the quality of sati mindfulness, you know, when you, you really are, what, it, what the effort's there to do, you know, you may have the aspiration, but the, the mindfulness is that which actually sustains the balance mm-hmm. in terms of what's uh, established on body, on presence of body, feeling or what the mind is about. There are many things that can be said and are good to say about mindfulness, but um, I suppose things that just to recognise tonight is it, it is that since it has no opinions, it uh, has no self-existing goals, it naturally fruition occurs out of it, but you don't, you're not mindful because, you, you know, you're mindful to enter into the presence of things and to be present. Mindfulness is like something that keeps you on track, so it's got a kind of remembering quality to it. Yeah. Now if you notice, just in the way your mind thinks, and, and in conversations, and in, when we're having people talking with each other, and you notice how suddenly you find you're talking about, well, we're talking about this, where do we get to this point? You know, and you trace back from a point you started on, which reminded you of this. The other person chipped in with that. There was that joke about that. And then you're off down the road, you're down there. And you've actually, you know, your mind is c- continually losing track. And it's not staying on, 
in touch with the theme. And it's quite fun, actually, because perhaps in a lot of ordinary conversation and thinking, the theme isn't important, actually. What's important is the interplay. So fine, you know, you want to play, fine. I mean, you can do this, and it's quite pleasant. Um, but in terms of mindfulness, actually, uh, it's a different kind of play. It's a different thing where, where instead of actually going along with stuff and creating stuff and, and, and just being enjoying the, the you know, creating things, uh, we're actually staying on on the spot. So instead of being a moving thing, we're actually aware of movement passing through us. The movement of inclination, movement of thought, movement of feeling, movement of emotions, and he's staying actually on a, on a checkpoint through which these things pass. And you keep, you know, because this is what you maybe, you know, if you really, there's a reason for this. It's, it's, uh, and one can see it as a negation of phenomena, but it's not a negation of it. It's just to understand and to get in touch with the presence that is uh, manifest in phenomena and also experience when phenomena cease. Quality of awareness, where, where, which is the real seed of life, if you like. And the other thing about the, the normal pattern of, of mental and emotional behaviour is it runs on stimulation, you know, the, 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 the happy buzz is, the interest is, the movement is, so we follow that. And it, it always moves towards objects. You know, so um, these may be only kind of temporary objects, so we get images, thoughts, kind of things flashing, you get a particular object or a state. And then as you follow up with physical action, of course, then you, you move towards some particular place or scene or event or person. You know, you, and you, you kind of move towards having an object, being in a particular situation. Um, you move towards some kind of state or status. And then when you, you get there, you get to that object, and then for a while it's kind of pleasant, and then it stimulation has to go elsewhere. So then you've got to do something else. You know. So you have these two processes uh, going on. There's a stimulation process, and now there's a, a kind of object process. Object experience. No. Then you, your mind or conscious consciousness kind of conjures up objects in the mind as potential objects. Things you think that could be there. I could do this. I could make that. I've got to remember this thing. Boom. And then there's that person. Boom. It can be pleasant or unpleasant. You need lumps of things. But then whenever you actually really get right up to a thing, the lump, it's sort of, oof, it's like embracing a ghost. You never quite get it. And yet you can't really get rid of it. It's like a shadow. You turn around, 
Darling kid. But there it is. <laughs> so we have these kind of objects, lumps. This is uh, a reification or lumping. This is a, so. So this is just the normal, um, you know, the way the way it is really. Uh, and in, um, you know, you've got two two levels or two ways of experiencing the, the stimulation of it, feeling, pleasant feeling, unpleasant feeling, and the existence of something, the solidity of it. And the two depend upon each other. In order to be stimulated, there's got to be something to stimulate by. Mm. And the thing can only exist if it gives you some stimulation. So imagine you and you're out there in your lunar module, right? You go out for a walk in space, and you know no gravity, you're free fall. Where's your body? <sighs> you know what happens to the body? You haven't got any, any pressure. You've got that kind of sort of stimulation, that particular feeling. Oh, Mother Earth, it's holding me hard. You know, he gradually nibbles my knees every night, <laughs> lets me know where I am. <laughs> Gravity. Without that, which way up, down? You know, where is it? Where did it go? There's no body unless there's some stimulation. You know? So maybe you can look at it, and get some kind of impression of it. When you're out there in your, in your lunar module, you go out in space, what's your body? Just the rushing of blood in your ears? The sound of the last space meal gurgling in your guts? <laughs> <laughs> you know? What if they turn that off too? <laughs> you know, I think it'd be pretty, if you were fighting sensory deprivation, it'd be pretty frightening. You know, that sense of loss, vertigo, absolute vertigo. So without a stimulation, the object ceases. So you see that the two are interdependent, aren't they? And then without the object, you can't touch, you can't feel it. You're not getting any, you're not getting any, any impression. You're not getting any feedback. You're not getting any. So, so the two. This is the where it is, isn't it? And the uh, sensory existence system. Is, does that for us. So you always, you know, the sense organs are always getting some stimulation. Visual. So, yeah, there's things there. They're there. Great, I'm here. Okay, lump's there, lump here, fine. <laughs> <laughs> and then, the, you know, that, that system pertains to even when you, with your mind, isn't it? You close your eyes, then the mind chirps up in a few little lumps. And there you are watching your lumps. So as that's uh, it's a built-in kind of um, feature of certain sensory world is this twofold experience. And uh, in, in with the cultivation of mindfulness, one isn't particularly wanting to enhance that. So we're not especially looking for any because you're meditating on feeling. So you. Know, Observing feeling as coming and going, you know, particularly not a special feeling or normal a feeling. Feeling is a feeling. When you notice the stimulation experience is something that kind of rises and ceases, got that flow to it. So that means that any 
you know, but you can't really hold it then, can you? And because if it arises and ceases and it's seen it that way and you focus on it that way, it doesn't actually, the objects that, that come up with it also do that. So we begin to notice the feeling and then the mind state and then the mental patterns. Also, when if they're surveyed with mindfulness, have the nature to, to lose their coherence, lose their substantiality. In a world of suggestion, a virtual reality of suggestion, in this case, really interesting, because not a little suggestion then, you get a big lumpy reality comes charging in. And as you know, meditation can be um, really zany at times. You know, one little tickly thought comes into your mind and the whole whole kind of sense of stimulation and reification experience cathects onto it. But dang, and you get some kind of massive obsession or paranoia or thing you've got to do by tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like... Uh, the thing is primed to go off. You know, one tiny little thing that you could believe in and thing crystallizes. And this is quite a funny time if you observe it. The convictions and the about oneself or where it's gotta be or what I've got to do and things like that. So the real real uh, challenge and the balance of it is to say, you know, not to deny it, just to notice that these things do come and go. Don't they? Mm. They are nature to arise and cease. Now that means for that to occur, then it's got to be some kind of loose freeing up of one's intention, one's volition. Now, something I particularly want to have, then a lot of my energy is going to go into keeping that thing bobbing in attention. If it passes away, I'm going to bring it back again. Yeah. So desire comes in, in volition, intention for that. Desire for certainty, which brings up doubt. You know, is it this? No. Is it that? Lump comes up, no. goes down again. So, you know, the kind of way that this quality of volition, intention, then, is the thing that help is, is the you know, kind of active principle that formulates objects. And why? Because you, you see, intention requires stimulation. Intention is a kind of choosing thing. So there's going to be some kind of signal in there. You know, choose something, and intention goes towards some sort of stimulation, it's like a signal. It feels right. Gives me that particular feeling. So then an object comes up. So the intention towards having a pleasant object and you fantasize something. Mm. And attention has got its own, the karma. You know, it's a karma process, so it means we inherit certain intentions. These intentions are can be quite crippled. You know, uh, fear and worry. And anger and frustration. So that then what we bring up are frustration objects. Frustration with myself, frustration with everybody else, frustration with the world, frustration with this, that and the other. Angry objects, doubt objects, worry objects, hate objects, fear objects. Hmm. This is um, 
you know, grizz, can be quite grisly stuff. Um, so, but then, you know, to actually come back to being on the ball with it, not saying it's not there, not saying, you know, rather than it, it does have the nature to arise and cease. And in order to, for that experience to be that, that to stay on the ball, it has got to be a kind of a real acknowledgement and contact with quality of intention. So intention doesn't get kind of, you know, isn't you recognize when intention starts to to galvanize onto something, get revved up onto something. You can you can feel that, you can detect that. Then wait a minute, what's happening? So it's really like kind of easing out of that. Into just be here, just acknowledge, be aware of this, and then you may begin to experience the thing is then freed up and it has the nature to roll, arise, and cease. So you don't come at it with this this as a philosophical statement. You come at it from the position of acknowledgement, aspiration, establishment of mindfulness, and then you begin to witness this pattern: arising and ceasing of things. This is the skill of mindfulness, and everything we do on this level is really to try to to, to support, remember that, note it, encourage it, mm. let that pattern, the kind of non we call non attachment and the insecurity of life is something that rather than the fixing of it and the reifying of everything. So even things like, you know, friendships and things we're allowing to flow rather than lock on to people. And this is not, I don't see this as unfriendly. I see it as a like, friendly, uh, true friendship isn't grasping. So we can flow. And I think this is where one gets the, the, the real, well, a lot of beauty in life is from being able to contact Objects, people, things, experiences without holding them. Well, there is a kind of openness to that. You're not projecting all kinds of clamping uh, ploys onto experience. And it's rather lovely. And as we do that, we find that actually there's a lot more room to, for experience. Well, I think the uh, very often emphasised, and maybe the thing we do find most immediately apparent, is the ending and ceasing of things. I mentioned this quite a bit. Notice the cease when things stop, because when something's arisen, then you know what you can you can notice what it has arisen passing, and then sort of going through the process of, of the wave gradually kind of collapsing. Into that, so that's maybe the most apparent feature that one can acknowledge. And when it ceases, you get this kind of this sense of calm, and it gives you a little window. That moment when something stops, and then your attention's there, and there isn't any particular object. So you get this kind of window and a kind of objectless experience. The object just ceases. It's maybe you know, like I don't know what kind of time span. This is very small, perhaps. It's some kind of, uh, and then something arises. Maybe what arises, you're going to grasp that window, 
what was that, you know? Or you get some volitional quality that pulls you out, pulls out to something else. With that, with that, with that see, 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 this kind of little window. Uh, and there is it, it, it is a beginning of a recognition of the, of the emptiness of, you know, of the way that, that the, the, the thinginess empties out and you get to a no thing. You get the kind of emptiness of some of experience, silencelessness. There's a drawback and, um, because of the process of one of arising and ceasing, and I think that um, maybe one's first insight can be through contemplating or noticing the ceasing of things and feeling quite peaceful and pleased and calmed by that. And a little kind of taste of something rather special. But we can lock into that experience of ceasing and it becomes a kind of notion, a concept, and a position. So the rising is then seen as that rather painful process of stuff coming up, doing all kinds of things, eventually ceasing. <laughs> so, so then it ceases, the next thing comes up and goes all kinds of things, and oh, here we go again, and then ceasing. <laughs> so you're kind of looking towards the ceasing, and the rising is always considered like the rather sick experience before you sober up. Um, uh, and this is rather unfortunate because there's quite a lot of arising going on. Uh, so you get this, if one doesn't actually, so from the ceasing you've got to try to actually understand or contemplate the arising of things. Well, that's what that's about. Ceasing of things is, you know, I say it's conducive to this insight into emptiness, but the, to be with the arising of things is conducive to quality of empathy and compassion, willingness. Different. Different, very, also a very wise feature of life, and we couldn't do without it, you know, because things don't just that's it, you know, game over with. It's you're in here for a lifetime. There's a lot, hell of a lot of arising that we have, so one has got to get uh, on board with this arising experience rather than we see it as the oh dear. So, one who favors the ceasing of things tends to adopt the view nothing really exists. It's all empty of illusion. They cling to that view, they hold that view, and it turns into this kind of vibhava, or non-existence, get out, cancellation, death wish. Someone who, you know, just observe, goes with the arising of things, tends to get into the all is love, you know, thing, <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> They tend to incline towards the eternalist view. We are one with the loving presence of the, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> Which is kind of nice, this way. But it, it can get into tremendous proliferation and, um, and agitation and excitement and uh, things that, that where, where the sense of balance is lost. So you get the inclination, then that inclines towards existence or becoming. So then what happens is these, these aspects become lumps themselves, become things themselves. You get, you get like the kind of calming down bit, so you're inclined towards that. You're reclusive, you like that bit. 
So then that kind of sings up on that, that becomes your lump. And then you become lumpy about it. You always want it. Don't bother me. You know, I want to get out of samsara, kind of thing. <laughs> and on the other hand, you kind of lump up around the arising of things, and it's here we all are, God is love, and we're the divine, you know, forever. And then, of course, these two positions, you know, don't really like each other very much. You know, because the, 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 the cessation person thinks that the existence person is naive and uh, kind of airy-fairy, and this is existence person thinks the cessation person is grumpy, cussed old recluse. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but to see, so, but they both, they fit, you know, one begins to kind of say, okay, you know, is the arising or something, what does that actually mean? You know, well, it means there's got to be some openness and willingness, a sense of selflessness. Essentially, it's the same experience. You know, one signless, if you like, it's kind of emptying out that, the substantiality of things, and perhaps the other one is emptying out the substantiality of oneself. You know, I'm, I'm open to this, I'm not, you know, I can be with this, I have no view. Um, so, 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 so what I mean, uh, I see that, that that kind of window then opens, if you begin to allow the arising, you get experience of anatta, which means I'm, I'm neither, I'm not retracted from this experience, this phenomena, and if that is, um, that is that is maintained through the manifestation, the cessation, I'm not trying to push this phenomenon away. I'm not want it. I don't not want it. So you begin to find these positions where lumpification occurs gradually are seen not as actual positions at all, but really as certain qualities of stimulation. One has got a calming quality. One has got a joyful quality. And, but one who does not actually seize those and become them and solidify them can know them just purely as this. So I think one can begin to recognize that all of the, the things, either this thing called oneself or that thing called the world, is really a process of stimulation impression that is held. And there's an ordinary function of reality, that's fine. Uh, but it does need some fine-tuning, because when we do get drunk on it, we do misunderstand it, we do apprehend it in the wrong way. How to create, how to know what you want to make a, a thing out of, when it's proper to sustain a thing, when it's possible to, proper to just to let it dissolve into you know, a feeling. Then when it breaks up into just a stimulation feeling, then that rhythm of, of stimulation just calms down. Then you can pick it up again. Yeah, this, um, so these ordinary processes of existence are bound into us in this karma sentiency of stimulation, which is karma, not karma but karma, sensuality, and bhava, which is lumping. Reification, existence, becoming. Mm. These, when there's ignorance there, you know, it takes these particular forms. And what occurs, as we all well know, is this experience of a self that's not, not in the stimulation, but it's somehow connected to it. 
It's not in the thing that's become, not in the object that's connected to it, or trying to connect to it. We've got this kind of, sort of, the self is always like on the edge of an experience, looking in, we're trying to pull away, isn't it? Feeling the thing, liking it, and then you get close that you can't quite get it, or something you can't quite get away from. You can either have it nor not have it. The self neither exists nor doesn't exist. It can't really totally throw itself into experience, because then it wouldn't be there, it would dissolve. It can't pull away from experience because it needs an experience to take a stand upon. So you get this kind of strange, and the most, well, it's strange, it's the most familiar strangeness of all, is this sense of self. And it may be an irony that maybe that sense of self is really a kind of a, a misapprehension of pure presence. That pure presence doesn't partake of becoming or stimulation. But if you try to, so there's that sense of a kind of subtle estrangement from this manifest experience. Well, something in one knows it isn't real, you know, core real, there's this quality of awareness to it. But perhaps it's that way that when, when there isn't awareness of that, then that quality of, of knowing actually takes a stand against or for the manifest experience. And then it becomes hardened into this self which has a view, looks on, wants, wants to get into it, wants to get out of, and can't achieve any of those. The only resolution of it would when that self actually becomes the pure presence that accommodates experience, does not partake of experience, does not reject experience, allows experience to be, to do its thing, to manifest, and goes through the cycle of arising and ceasing. This is where you get the, you know, the mindfulness becomes uh, wise, balanced. And I guess for most of us, the, the nitty-gritty of it, a lot of the time, is, is freeing up the contracting points, the hindrances, where we do, where our attention does get mesmerized and, and hypnotized, gets stuck, get bogged. We feel very solid, pinned down by something, led on by something, spun around by something, blown up by something, <laughs> and uh, you know it's it's and these things seem very solid and unapproachable sometimes. So the, the schools of mindfulness is. get into these hindrances and um, begin to bring enough energy and, and clarity into the whole process of being present and, and uh, where, so that, 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 that those hindrances don't actually have a, a food of ignorance to base themselves upon. And if most of them, this is just kind of like it's just nimble footwork and um, occasional sallies and so forth, 
to propping up the tension and to pushing away the hindrance until one can come to the balance where it's strong enough to recognize a hindrance purely as a stimulation that comes and goes. So then the, you're taking the teeth out of the dragon. It doesn't, you can be there, and it, once it does that, it sort of loses a bit of its gumption. And it, these things tend to, what's going to do with a dragon without teeth? <laughs> you know, it goes away. Well, this is um, yeah, this is a very nice uh, thing to do. Lovely to to so you know, process of mindfulness really leads us to some uh, sense of uh, balance, and uh, this is compassionate about the arising of things, empathetic, willing, rising, and peaceful about ceasing things. Doesn't hold these views. And so we begin, perhaps begin to be more, once one's got a taste of some freedom, then you actually study the, the process of, of how did all this come around, you know? You, you begin to maybe get insight through, through watching a feeling or a thought or a meditation topic particularly. And then that, where you get that, that insight to that understanding arising, you know, you try to understand the kind of what's, what, you know, really what's, what that's about as a general, General thing. General thing. So you maybe get it from listening to your mind or watching your breath or something like that, or you know, just being with the, these feelings and so forth. And then with wisdom, the understanding faculty is to, is to try to look at what that really implies and means and begin to apply it to, to, to the ongoing experience. So you take something like substantiality and you begin to recognize that, no, that isn't the case. So this makes when any kind of object, you know, is then can be reviewed in that way. Substantiality, um, uh, a particular feeling, tone, these are, and, and selfhood, these are things that are are purely conventional expressions. You get something like this bell, you know. Yeah, bell. <laughs> Proved it. Um, so there's a visual form there. So it gives, you get the kind of sense of there's a particular visual form. It's, it's seen as... So that particular pattern in my visual field is interpreted as a three-dimensional object. So it acts as the basis for the existence. Form acts as the basis of the existence of material object. Don't see a material object in a form. So form is a visual, is an experience through one sense channel. And a material object is the mind's interpretation of what that bit of sense data is. You know? So it can be brought up in two or three. Like you see something, touch it smell it or whatever, oh, right, it gives it a little more tangibility. So form acts as the basis for that. But, so but when you begin to see, consider, well, that, that's a form. It's not a material object right now in presence. In, by inference it is, but in presence it's just a form. 
So there isn't a bell there. You know. <laughs> there's a, you know, there's a thing that, that says bell. You know. So you begin to see, well, you can't say there's no bell, really, because it's a sort of visual form, but you can't say that visual form is a bell. So you get this kind of, okay. And now that visual form acts as a basis for a um, feeling activity, doesn't it? You know, you can maybe get some kind of sense of interest or um, a perceptual activity. It's a bell. Acknowledgement, knowledge, perception, meaning arises. And so meaning arises dependent upon that particular form. But the meaning, bell, that isn't that thing. That's what's happening here. If a dog comes along, well, he wouldn't get that. We pee in it. What are you trying to get out of it? Had a woman here who wanted to get food out of it. You know, she was a little bit touched, but, you know. <laughs> so it wasn't a bell to her, it was a dinner plate. And fair enough, you could use it. You could use an ashtray, as a helmet. So that perception of bell isn't really what that thing is, because it could be an ashtray, a helmet, a waste paper basket, a bitum. But that perception of bell isn't, again, you can't say that it isn't a bell, you can't say it is a bell. A certain kind, it acts as a basis for activity, doesn't it? So you bell, ring it. You want to lick it? <laughs> Ring it. So it acts as the basis of some kind of mental activity. Bell, ring bell. Nice sound. Mm-hmm. But you can't say that the, the, the activity of ringing the bell is the bell either. You don't ring the bell, it's still there. So that particular activity of ringing and that recognition as a ringable object, that isn't the bell either. But neither can you say that's not the bell. Mm-hmm. So it acts as a basis for that, for this particular experience. And it acts as a basis for some kind of consciousness, which means that um, that's there, I'm here. That's an object, I'm watching it. So it acts as the basis for that primary function of consciousness to differentiate the subject and an object. But if there wasn't a bell there, then the sense of me would establish itself on something else. I wasn't here, somebody else would see that bell. So that process is not really separate from me and the bell, nor is it me and the bell. So what this means is that this kind of manifestation experience of what we call the five kanda, form, feeling, perception, mental activity and consciousness, is something that dependently arises, is the manifestation of a reality that has no manifestation. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so take that one home with you. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so what's that to me anyway? You know, <laughs> it means that things essentially there's an ineffable, ineffable quality to things. Their, their presence, in pure presence, there's nothing. You know. I mean, I'm not saying there's a negative state. I mean, it's 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 like a, a glorious nothing. It's a kind of magical nothing, um, in which all these manifestations—bell, ashtray, lump, thing—me, you know—all these things have place for it. It could be called a cloche if it was French. It could be any number of things. All that's possible within this pure presence, which doesn't actually cling to any of these particular positions. 
it clings to one of it and it, it pushes out, it stops all the potential. So pure presence is something that is open and allows the quality of manifestation to occur. You can't have manifestation without presence. Manifestation is true in as far as we talk about functioning, causal reality. If we said it's just pure presence, everything's empty, then what do we do? You know, who's going to cook the dinner? What dinner? <laughs> Dinner's empty too. I mean. So, you know, you, you've got this kind of level of, of experience that you can't refute and deny either. You've got the manifest and the non-manifest. These are the and you begin to see then how do these things actually, um, you know, where do they become things where you cling to? You cling to the idea of emptiness or you cling to the idea of manifestation, you get terribly embedded in it all. There's nothing but karma and this and that and the other. And you take positions on it. Now, bells are fairly innocuous and they show much back on Notre Dame. But, <laughs> or you've got some kind of fetish about it. But we get down to things like, say, okay, people. Now, that gets a little more weighted, doesn't it? Mm. Are people just empty, material, non-existent phenomena? You want to hold it like that? That would be an interesting one for a while. <laughs> uh, it uh, could, could damage friendship. <laughs> or is it every, you know, totally real, so we get terribly involved and concerned about every kind of movement of the mind and it's taken seriously, that's pretty dense too. So, you know, these things are give rise to kinds of knotting up and blindness. It takes, you, know, you take something a little bit further, you take something like, well, you know, like a psychological quality, uh, you know, an immaterial quality like morality. You know, uh, if we say... You know, so if you, you kind of obsess with that, you get as a stimulation, you get legalistic because you love, you love all these lovely little rules. They give you the kind of buzz. So you get, that's when you take it for stimulation, and when you take it for a becoming something, you get conceit. You know, I am right, I am pure. But then, if you say, well, is, you know, morality is pure convention, doesn't really exist anyway. Then again, you know, you, you grasp at another extreme. So these aspects of path can be also be seen as uh, one has to understand them both as empty and as manifest, both as having very powerful causative results and in terms of the level of karmic activity and functioning reality, and yet that is to be suffused with the light of balance, which means they're also they're empty. Mm. Morality, um, say samadhi, again, you know, you get stuck on that, you get into the kind of, when you get blissed out and then feeling one's attained something, you cling to that. Wisdom, you cling to that, you get into intellectual fascination, or feeling that one is wise. So these are all, you know, things that various levels of this process of stimulation and reification can occur around. Now the real balance is that arising, ceasing, and out of arising comes that willingness to be with the manifest, the compassion, the responsibility, the responsiveness to what's manifest. With the ceasing comes a recognition. It's just a game.
And the two have to be there. So then we begin, so then it becomes very much a matter of, well, what's your bet? What's your take on this? Then perhaps it changes from, you know, prepared to see reality as empty, but not prepared to see chocolate as empty. (laughs) (laughs) This is serious. (laughs) (laughs) Or vice versa. So, um, you know, release is really the release from all positions and the release from not having a position. So if we want to be positionless, then that becomes another position. Release really then is concerned with intention, seeking. Seeking stimulation, some kind, or seeking the stopping of stimulation, or seeking things, seeking in terms of stimulation, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, powerful, subtle, still, and seeking terms of in terms of of, of um, states or solidity or being, or either being something or being nothing. You know, being this or being that or being nothing. You know, it's this kind of quality that the intent keeps. You know, doing that like a kind of you know some sort of rat in a maze trying to find its way out. And that so that through this process, the release is really. Well, what I would suggest to, to take on and where the joy comes in life, the deep, deep sense of ease, is when you can see you bring it back to any time. It's just this intent. You know, just this intent. You don't have a whole world of objects and scenarios you've got to steer your way through. And situations and game plans and techniques and you know kind of vast. You can just this intention. It's this, you know, this, if you can, of course, you, you need a, lot, a few game plans to get to you, clear about your intention. What well, it is, not just as a kind of thought or an idea, but a real, you know, instinct, seeking instinct. And you train, one trains that in, in relinquishment, and you train it by really making it observe the, you know, what's happening, you know, in phenomenal terms. And then, you know, how to then exercise intention. So intention is, well, again, it's written in the same kind of pattern. It's compassionate. It's for the welfare. It's for the blessing of beings, of the manifest. Not to kind of shut them down. It's like that. That's, that's giving up self, isn't it? That's giving up positions. When one's prepared to participate and be alive, that's giving up a position. Well, control it and have it is different. But just to, to throw oneself into it, this is giving up self. And then also then to, to not seek it, existence or manifestation. This is giving it up. So one is compassionate, the other is insightful. But essentially it comes down to the same thing, the release from grasping. The heart's release from grasping. This is lovely. This is something we can we can do. We do it small ways, we can do it large ways. And it all it's the essence of our practice. So um, tonight
is the, is the full moon, and um, as we've been kind of changing some patterns, practice. So tonight we would we would um, use this evening um, and have a midnight do some chants and paritas, say about well, half past eleven chants and paritas, and then perhaps have a um, circumambulation, and then try to use that as an occasion to kind of. It's been a very blessed time, I find. I feel. I'm certainly really enjoying this experience being here. Really all right. Being su- I mean, it's wonderful to be so supported by all the generosity, faith, and willingness of the lay people, and by people's contribution to practice here and their commitment to practice and their you know, resilience and their responsibility. is really, really nice for me. So I'm very much in tune with that. I'd like to. It's these kind of ritual occasions, occasions when I feel that one can kind of just, you know, express that in particular ways. And circumambulation and chanting is a, is a good way to do that. So we could do that. And then um, with the tea davers, I'm willing, we can see tea afterwards. And then um, go, go, or do, leave it open-ended. So people can uh, uh, people live in the forest, go to the forest, it's a nice night. We're going to go, maybe people can stay and go back home or whatever. People stay here or in the house. And um, yeah, whatever's all right really. So... Those of you who abide in the course in the empty vihara will recognise what's all this talk about people and times and places. These things have no existence whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, in stainless purity, we recognise that I have to find some way to finish this talk. (laughs) (laughs) Enough for now.